Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today we are kicking off our new series called Stand in the Gap. So grab your Bible if you have one or your phone or whatever you want to do with that. And we're going to dig in today. I'm going to first pray and then we'll get going. Lord, we just invite your presence here and we just open up our hearts. Lord, challenge us, change us, cause us to grow. Lord, move us out of our comfort zone. Make us uncomfortable tonight in a good way. Holy Spirit, move in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. This Stand in the Gap series is based on the scripture found in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And it says this, it says, I looked for someone, this is God talking, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. Now this is Old Covenant stuff, and I, so you know, translating it into the New Covenant, I like the idea of pulling that idea out that God is searching for people. God is searching for someone to stand in the gap for people. And so when we talk about our Stand in the Gap offering, let me just let you guys know who may not know what's going on with this. Over the next three weeks, we're doing a three-week series, and we're launching our building campaign during this three-week series. And uh, we're just going to receive an offering. We're just going to sow seed by faith. We're going to give our best. We're going to do that because we believe that we have to position ourselves for whatever God has next. Now, if you were here in the first service, uh, which I'm assuming you weren't because this is Sunday night church, but uh, first service was completely completely packed out. We had to bring in chairs, not a single seat open. Second service was a full service as well. This is our evening crowd. And so we've got a little bit more space, but you know, we're looking for more uh, room to see because God is doing something here. And so we don't, the interesting thing is this, we don't know what the next step is. But we feel like we need to take a step of faith and be prepared. How many of you guys know that that's the way we've got to be sometimes in our own personal life? So a lot of times you don't know what the next step is. And many times we're waiting on God to show us every single step of the way before we take a step of faith. But many times we have to take a step of faith before God opens the door even. And so that's what we're doing as a church. And, and so God does this. What does stand in the gap mean? Well, God has always, throughout Scripture, used people to stand in the gap for other people. He used Joseph to stand in the gap for his family to keep them from starving when he went to Egypt and became second to Pharaoh in the land. He used Moses when God's people were, were serving idols and, and, and they were about to get destroyed. And Moses stepped in and he, he talked to God to spare the people. And he stood in the gap between the people and God. You think about Esther in scripture and how her people were about ready to be destroyed by Haman. But she, through prayer and fasting and following after God through obedience, she stood in the gap and God saved a people. And, and this is what God does. God looks for someone who will be a connecting point to take people's hands hands and to connect them to Jesus. And so that's what it means to stand in the gap. Uh, when God wanted to do something special in 1904 in Wales, he looked for somebody who would stand in the gap. And he found this young coal miner named Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts was 26 years old and he had worked in the coal mines and, and a, a revival preacher came through town one day and he preached a sermon. And as a part of the sermon, he said, oh God, bend us. 
And that phrase struck Evan Roberts and he went home that night and he thought about that and he prayed about that and he came back and he began to cry out to God and he said, oh God, bend me. And that began a series of events that was pretty phenomenal. And he went and he asked his pastor, he asked his pastor if he could preach. And the pastor said, sure, you can preach. You can preach after Wednesday night church, after everybody is dismissed. And so that's just what he did. And he began to preach and just a handful of people and it began to spark something in people. And pretty soon by the next week, the Holy Spirit was moving and things were beginning to multiply. Here's what I've discovered. And, and this is what we see in the, the issues in scripture and the people in scripture. And here's what we see in, in the life of Evan Roberts and any revival is that usually when God does something major, it always starts with just a simple yes. And when Evan Roberts simply said yes to God in a very simple way to go and ask his pastor if he could preach. Now, if you think you're going to do that here, well, you know, we'll, we'll see about that, okay? You, we'll see if you're an Evan Roberts or not. But, uh, but that's what he did. It all started with a simple yes. Whenever God wants to do something special in a region, in a time, in a family, in a life, it always starts with a simple yes. And so Evan Roberts said a simple yes, and that began to spill out into the second week, and the heavens, of, the heavens were opened, and, and pretty soon reporters were coming to, to report on what was going on with this whole region, because over the next five months to a year, over 100,000 people came to Christ as a result, and it began to spread all over the world, known as the Welsh Revival, because he said yes to God. According to some accounts, the judges in that area had no cases to try because there were no burglaries, there were no murders, there were no robberies or rape or any of that stuff because the people were coming to Christ and their lives were changed. It began to change the culture. Can you just imagine for just a minute what would happen if in our area, the Kansas City greater area, if, if people like us simply had a simple yes before God and this began to happen? And pretty soon the whole culture began to change. Pretty soon the judicial systems in our area had to alter how they were doing things. The police officers would have to change things because, and in fact, one of the stories uh, goes like this, that a police sergeant was asked by one of the reporters, they said, what do you do with your time now since there's nothing to really do? And they said, well, we have 17 officers and we just kind of go where the crowds go. And the crowds used to be in this, these areas, the soccer games or all this stuff, but the crowds aren't there anymore. And they said, why aren't they there? Because they're hungry for God. All the crowds are going to church. So he said, we send five officers to the church, to the crowds where the church are, are, are uh, crowds going to church. And he said, well, what do you do with the other 12? Well, the other 12 have formed three quartets and they sing at the churches and the revivals all over. <laughs> and that's true. How many of you guys know that without God, we cannot do those things, right? Without God, this is the truth, that without God, man cannot. Without God, we cannot do these things. We need God to do these things. Over the next few months, drunkenness dropped by 50%. There was a slowdown in the mines, not because the miners were lazy, not because they, they went on strike, not because they quit working, but simply because they cleaned up their language and their lifestyle. You say, well, why would that slow down the mines? Because the horses that pulled all the carts only were motivated by their crude language, and that's how they were trained. So they had to stop and retrain the horses. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing that it, it wasn't just in theory, that it began to affect 
every single part of society. That, that, and here's what I believe, guys. I believe what God has done in the past, he can do again. I'm talking about in Liberty, Missouri, in Excelsior Springs, in Gladstone, in Kansas City. I'm talking about God could do something like that again because he's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of times. And that without God, we cannot do that. Amen? But here's the full truth. Without God, man cannot. But without man, God will not. Without God... Man cannot without man, God will not. Why? Because he's searching. And he's searching for someone who will stand in the gap. He's searching for someone who will be that type of person. They'll say, God, I will give my life to your purposes. And it may start with a simple yes. I will give my life to whatever you have for me. Without God, man cannot, but without man, God will not, because God is searching for someone to stand in the gap. And here's the deep question. It's simple, but it's, it's weighty that I want us to wrestle with this evening, and it's this. Are we standing in the gap, or are we standing in the way? Are we standing in the gap to connect this world with Jesus, or is we, are we as believers standing in the way of people coming to Jesus? You say, how would we stand in the way? Well, we're, sometimes we get so caught up in our Christian world that we forget that there's a lost and dying world. And we get so focused on what's happening in our lives that we forget that there are people who need to have the life of Christ. And so sometimes even well-meaning people, we can, instead of standing in the gap for this culture and for this world, we end up standing in the way. How does this happen? Well, statistics say that the average person will spend one year of their life searching for lost or misplaced items. <laughs> How many of you guys are above average? Okay, <laughs> Lost or missing items, yeah. The average executive will spend six full weeks of their year looking for lost documents. That's a lot of wasted time, isn't it? How much wasted time have we lost because we've forgotten why we're here? How much... How much of the purpose and plan of God have we squandered away from happening in our world because we've forgotten what our purpose is? And so I want to give us some thoughts tonight about how we can be those type of stand-in-the-gap people. Because before we, we uh, plant our flag permanently here in this region as a church, and we already are in one sense, but before we go any further, I believe it's important for us to establish why we are here as a church. And in order to do that, we have to do some things. The first of all is this, to remind ourselves of our mission. We have to understand why we are here as a church. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17. Son of man, this is God talking. He says, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn people immediately. Ezekiel was supposed to be a watchman on the wall. Now, if you are a watchman, to watch for things, you have to watch for the right things. A watchman, if you want to have that task, you have to watch for the right things. And we have to remind ourselves as watchmen on the wall that we have to remind ourselves of the right vision, the right purpose. What's our vision as a church? It's very simple. It's to reach the lost, equip the found. Reach the lost, equip the found. We have to remind ourselves of that. But can I just be real with you tonight? We're okay at, at equipping the found. We're not perfect at it. We're not done with it. We're still working on it. But we got a lot of stuff for the found. 
I mean, we just talked about these Christmas parties and all this is wonderful. Fellowship is part of the Christian life. We need to do that. Great things are gonna happen because of that. We have connect groups and they're wonderful and we wanna multiply them even more. We have classes, we have uh, events, we have times of worship together corporately. We have uh, messages that get preached where you get equipped and challenged and changed. We got a lot of stuff for the found. We want more, but we got a lot of stuff for the found. But what about the first part? What about the reach the lost part? How are we doing there? You say, well, what about, I mean, we talk about Operation Christmas Child tonight. We talk about, we can talk about the missionaries we support in Ethiopia and, and Djibouti and all over the world. You could talk about working with our partners at Hillcrest and Liberty Women's Clinic. And I could just go on and on and on with all of these things that we're doing to reach out. That's true. Can I just say, we've been really good at working through organizations to reach the lost. But what about us as individuals to reach the lost? You see, that's really the question for us. I I heard a message a few months ago from a guy named John Maxwell. Many of you guys are familiar with John Maxwell. I heard a message that has just been messing with my mind, wrecking my heart in a positive way. And I've been meditating on it, and I've been stewing on it, and I've been wrestling with it, And it's because he asked this question. And here's the question he asked. He said, what are we going to do about the 53%? What are we going to do about the 53%? Who who are the 53%? What are we going to do about the 53% who are never coming to church? They are never going to come through the doors. They are are never going to walk. There's 53% who are never going to come. They're never, it doesn't matter how good our coffee is. It doesn't matter how flashy our service is. It doesn't matter how good I preach, how great the band sounds, how welcoming we are. They're never coming to church. What are we going to do about the 53%? What are we going to do? And it was, I was messing with me. It's just, it's still messing with me. What are we going to do? You see, there are 53% of the people who, when they have a problem, they aren't thinking about church as the solution or God as the solution. They're just not. What are we going to do about the 53%? You see, the truth is there's no hope for the 53% as long as we as Christians are completely satisfied with what's happening currently. As long as we're totally happy with what's happening inside the church, there's there's no hope for them because they're not coming inside the church. They're just not coming. So what are we going to do about the 53% of people who aren't coming to church? You know, the real truth is that most church growth that's happening right now, the perceived church growth, is not the lost coming to Christ. It's simply people coming to newer churches from dead denominations. What are we going to do about the 53%? That question is just messing with me lately. And here's the thing, so many of us, I know life is hard, guys. We, uh, we've dealt with a lot of that, even just within our, within our church body lately, just dealing with stuff from life. You go to, church, you go to work, and you, you carry that, you have family issues, you, you have burdens in life, and it's, a lot of times we come to church or we come to the family of God or we come to the kingdom of God as an oasis from real life, in a sense. And, and there's, in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But in in another sense, listen, church is not an oasis from the world. 
That's not what the church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be an oasis for the world. Church is not an oasis from the world. It's supposed to be an oasis for the world. It's supposed to be a cold drink of water, of living water for the world. But it's only if we have the goods. It's only if we have something to offer. It's only if we have something to offer. Man, I'm preaching better than you guys are getting this 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 evening. We are supposed to be a connecting point to take this community, the 53%, and we are to take them and to place their hand in the hand of Jesus. We, that's what we are all about. We are here to stand in the gap as individuals and as the church. As Journey Church, that is why we are here. Are we standing in the gap or are we standing in the way? And I think as I say that tonight, there are many of us maybe in the room that feel like, yeah, I need to be, I need that reminder. <laughs> I need that reminder about the 53%. So what do we do if we find ourselves needing that reminder? Well, that brings us to the second point. We have to repent. Repent. We're so used to repenting of things we do, but we have to repent of not what just, of just what we've done. We have to repent of what we've left undone. Because a lot of times it's easy to find out, man, I screwed that up or I messed that up. But there are some things that we've left undone where it's re repentance is required. And I think this is one of those areas, guys, where repentance is required, not because we've messed something up, but because we've left something undone. And we need to come to God and simply repent. Now, Ezekiel is an interesting guy. Ezekiel preaches some sermons in the book of Ezekiel. You realize what I love about God is God's a preacher. God's a preacher, but he loves to illustrate his sermons when he preaches. He did this in the New Testament when Jesus would tell parables or stories to illustrate his sermons. He did this in the Old Testament, but he did it in a little bit different way. He would take Old Testament prophets, and many times he would have them act out in real life what was going on in the Spirit. And that's exactly what's happening with Ezekiel, that he was acting out. He was, he, he was called to do some pretty strange things and act out what was happening, a picture. So God's preaching a message through Ezekiel. It's pretty interesting. Ezekiel was a guy who was deported to Babylon in 597 BC. He was about 25 years old. By Nebuchadnezzar, he's pulled out of Jerusalem. He's pulled out, and, and about five years into this, God calls him to be a pastor, prophet, priest, whatever you want to call him to preach this message to the people. And so uh, to warn them if they needed to be warned, warned and, and Ezekiel commits to this with a simple yes. All right, and if, how many of you guys have ever had God ask you to do something and it started as a simple yes, but then it turned into a big mess? <laughs> You're like, I was a simple yes and I would never have said yes to that if I knew what was coming next. And I don't think Ezekiel would have said yes if he knew what was coming next because God asked him to do some strange things. And in chapter four, we see this begin to play out. God says, Ezekiel, my people are strained from me. They've gone after idols. And so I want you to paint a picture of this. And here's how I want you to do it. Take a big stone, draw out the city of Jerusalem on the stone, place around the stone with sticks or whatever, this siege against the city with battering rams and, and paint a picture. Have you guys ever played in the dirt? Like as a kid with the Hot Wheels or whatever it was. That, he's asking him to get down in the dirt, to make a little scene, a whole situation, and to, to build this whole elaborate scene. 
And so remember, he's a grown man, okay? He's saying, I want you to go out in front of Walmart and I want you to take your toys and I want you to set up this whole scene. Then I want you to go to the kitchen and I want you to grab an iron skillet and, and I want you an iron griddle and I want you to put it between you and this scene that you've drawn out. And that's gonna represent how I've been separated from my people and my face is set hard against them. And so he's a grown man. How many of you guys would begin to question God's voice at that point? Just a little bit, like seriously, maybe that was pizza last night. Maybe that wasn't God. And we begin to question that just a little bit. But he didn't question that. And, and he just went along with it. And God said, but wait, there's more. And he said, I want you to what you're gonna do is you're gonna lay down on your left side. This is all in scripture, you can verify it. I want you to lay down on your left side for 390 days. And each one of those days is gonna represent a year of the punishment for Israel. When you're done with that, flip over, lay on your right side for 40 days, that's gonna represent the punishment for Judah. I'm gonna tie ropes around you so you can't move. Now, you can't fast that whole time. You can't go without water. So bring some water, bring some stuff to bake bread. And I want you to bake your food over human dung. Wait a minute. <laughs> and that's exactly what Ezekiel does. He said, oh, hold on, God, hold on, hold on. I, I, I've gone quite a ways here, okay? I've, you gotta admit, I've gone quite a ways and I've went along with this, but I've never defiled myself in this way. I've never done something this gross is what he's saying. And I've never done this. And so he talks God out of the human dung part. And God says, all right, you can do that over cow dung. And Ezekiel says, okay. <laughs> that was his only contention was the human. Now, how many of you guys, that would be my contention too. I would have a problem with that. But he talks him out of that. He's willing to go along with all the rest of the stuff. And he goes ahead and he does that. Now, what's the message that he's trying to communicate here. Here's Ezekiel's message. It's very simple, and it's that word that I already mentioned, and that's word, that word repent. That word repent. Whenever we find ourselves in need of repentance, how many of you guys would just be honest that the most tempting thing that comes to our mind when we find an area of our life that needs to change is to blame something? for why it needs to change, to blame somebody, to blame our environment, to blame our parents, to blame our circumstance, to blame our stress, to blame our whatever, as an excuse. Ezekiel, when he pre preaches this message of repentance, he's talking to the people of God, but he's not just talking to them as a group. He's talking to them as individuals. Look at this in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. He says this, the person who sins is the one who will die. That's a refrigerator verse, by the way. You can just slap that up on your refrigerator, show your children that, and say, listen, children, just, it's a Bible verse. And he said, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. What's he saying here? Each person is responsible to repent for themselves. And so tonight, I, I want to talk to you as a church, but I'm also talking to you not just as the church. I'm talking to you as an individual. And I'm asking you this specific question when it comes to this 53%. Are you standing in the gap personally, or are you standing in the way personally? You see, in those times, people would try to get credit for being around the right people instead of being the right people. They try to get credit for being around, well, I've got a good father or a good son or I come from a good family or I come from the, the children of Israel. I'm one of the, the people of God. And, 
And it's not how it works, Ezekiel says. It says, no, if you're wicked, you're wicked. If you're righteous, righteous. It doesn't matter what group you belong to. It doesn't matter what, what you, you don't get credit because your parents were good or because your kids turned out well. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your life? The Pharisees in the New Testament tried this as well. They tried, they went before Jesus and they said, Jesus, but we're, we're all right because we're of our father Abraham. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. In the end, that's not how it works. So he emphasized individual responsibility. How does that apply to us here today? And I would say this, you are not as mature, loving, evangelistic, or whatever fill in the blank you want to fill in the blank there as the collective whole of this church is or of the church worldwide just because you come to the church. You don't get credit just because the church loves Jesus. You don't get credit, you don't just all of a sudden just get swept into that just because you're sitting in a seat. As, as I was a youth pastor, I'd say it even more simply, and we'd say it this way. We'd say, you're not a car just because you happen to choose to sleep in a garage. That doesn't make you a car just because you do that. Or you're not a chicken simply because you go around clucking. Now, if you start laying eggs, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there. But up until that point, and a lot of people just want to be a part of something and have the name, the label put on them. But in their heart, as an individual, they really haven't repented they haven't repented. Now, we need to repent, not just of what we've done, but what we've left undone. And here's a question. What's the last thing God asked you to do that you've left undone? Who's the last person God asked you to share the gospel with that you've left it undone? What's the last thing in your marriage that God has asked you to do, not your spouse, that you've left undone? You see, that's what Ezekiel's message is all about. It's about repentance as an individual that then affects the whole. Now, when I talk about repentance, I probably need to define that just a little bit. And I think most of us are familiar with the definition, but let's go over it again. I put it this way. Repentance is like going this direction, and all of a sudden you realize, I've got to change. And so you do a 180, and you start heading in this direction. That turn is called Repentance. How many of you guys have heard something similar to that? That's kind of a basic idea that we have when it comes to repentance. Here's the problem. Most of us think it works like this. I'm going like this. I'm doing the things I shouldn't be doing. And so I know I need to change. And so I turn around and I start doing this new thing. And I start, have you heard what I've said tonight? And that is the word doing. We think that repentance is a change in our doing. And biblical repentance is not a change in your doing. It's not a change in your action. That's a byproduct of what happens with repentance. And so many of us try to change our doing, and that's not what repentance is. We fail and we end up going right back. Here's what repentance is. I'm, I'm going this direction, and all of a sudden I know I need to change, and so there's a change in my thinking or in my heart that changes. And when I change in my thinking and heart, all of a sudden the doing will come. The doing will come. Now, we as legalists, we don't like that so much because when someone says they repent, we want to see the doing. We can't always see the thinking. Let me go even further, though. Repentance is not just I'm going this way in my thinking and, and I, in my heart and I know I need to change it, so I turn. It's actually I'm going this way, I'm doing this in my thinking, and it's the way that I'm thinking that I need to do a 180. It's not just what I'm thinking, but it's 
the way I'm thinking. Let me give you some examples of how this looks. It's 180 degree. That's biblical repentance. I've used this before a few years ago, but it's, it's, I'm, I believe it'll help somebody out tonight. You see, when we moved down to this area from uh, about 40 minutes north of here when we started the church, I thought, well, I'm living close to Kansas City. Kansas City's known for barbecue. So I, I, you know, I used to think barbecue was like going out to the grill and grilling some hamburgers. I just had that in my mind that that's barbecue. You know, I'm going to go barbecue something. And I was like, no, i got to go to check this out. And so I went to what used to be Oklahoma Joe's at the gas station. How many of you guys have been there? Now Joe's KC. And so I went down there, stood in line. My wife and I, we went down there, and, and we stood in line, and we had that. And, and my idea of barbecue totally changed. I know there's a lot of debate about which one's the best and all that, and I'm not going to get into that. But I know for me personally, it's like I was barbecue born again. It was like... Everything, I, I came out of that place and, and I had repented. I know that's funny, but I'm telling you in the sincerest way, that in the truest biblical way, I had biblically, in that way, I'd repented. And here's what I mean. The way I thought, I think about barbecue now has forever changed. I can't go back and think what I used to think about barbecue. Because I went in there and I had that. And my friend Bob Couch, he came one day and took my wife and I. And, and we went out with, with him and Nicole. And we went to, down to the freight house, down to, uh, to eat down there at, at uh, Jack Stack. And he said, you got to have the baked beans. And the baked beans are legend. And he was talking them all up. And I'm like, okay, he's talking them all up. He's talking them all up. And, you know, of course, I had their burn-ins. And then they, they had the baked beans. And I had the baked beans. And boom, I just feel like I got resurrected. It was like raised to new life. I mean, it was like, I walked out of there and I'm just like, praise Jesus. I have never, I have, those are the best baked beans I've ever had in my life. And so somebody can tempt me with something else. That's fine. But I'm telling you, I had repented in the truest sense of the biblical word because not just what I was doing changed, the way I thought changed. No one has to tell me to go to barbecue places now. Because the way I think about barbecue has changed. I went and I bought a smoker for myself because I figured you put smoke on anything, it tastes good now. Because, listen, it, it changed, my thinking changed, and it affected my behavior. Is anybody seeing this? So I had repented in the truest sense of the word towards barbecue. Let me give you another example. Uh, years and years ago, I took a group of teenagers to the LA Dream Center. We had a missions trip and and as one of our off days, we went down, we were going to go see Hollywood. Now, I've, I've seen the, you know, on TV where they put the handprints in and the Man's Chinese Theater and all the iconic places on TV and stuff. And so I was really curious to see what this looked like. How many of you guys have ever been there, by the way? Okay. So I went down there and I'm like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It looks small. It looks nothing like I thought it would look. I was so disappointed. I mean, everything that had been built up in my mind as to what this experience would be like was not the same. So now anytime I see it on TV or see it referenced, I cannot think of it the same. I had repented in the truest sense of the word towards Hollywood. Now, I think Hollywood needs to repent, but I had repented towards what Hollywood looks like. I can't unknow what I know. And I can't go back and think the way I used to think. I had repented. I'll give you another example. I grew up in a small town, just a couple hundred people, gravel roads. It's just small. We would spend all day just 
just riding our bikes and we didn't have any real curfews except for dark, you know, and, and we would come in at dark and ride our bikes all over time. My parents wouldn't know where we were at. We had just gone all day and it's just a small town. And I remember the first time that I took a jet across the ocean and I, you know, flying up and all of a sudden everything's at this level and you start going up and up and everything looks small and small and pretty soon you're above the clouds and then you're crossing the ocean. I, I got done with that experience. I was like, I can never look at the world again the same way. I'd repented. The way I think had changed permanently. Repented. One more example just to help you out. Before I had kids, I had seen kids. I had known people who had kids. I had watched, I had been a kid myself. And so I had all of these reference points, but there was, there was nothing like whenever I held my son for the first time. I couldn't unknow what it's like anymore. You know, I couldn't unknow that. And so what? I had repent. The way I thought changed. That's biblical repentance. Now, when I'm talking about the 53%, some of us need to change the way we think about lost people in our lives. We have to change the way, not just what we're doing towards them, but changing the way we think about people at our job, changing the way we think about our family members who are unsaved, changing the way we think about our spouse, changing the way, not just what we're thinking, not just what we're doing, but actually the way we think. We have to have a biblical repentance as a church, and as individuals. So over the last few months, can I just be honest with you? I I know in my own heart, I struggle to love people well. I mean, I've tried, I just just get so, you know, just focused on doing certain things that I I just, sometimes that, that I just get so driven, you know? And so I struggled, and so I started praying to God. I said, God, I know in my own strength, when I try to love people, it's inadequate. I know in my own strength, I fall short and I find reasons why they're unlovable and I find reasons and excuses and they're good ones and they're real. They're not not real, but, and so I just began to ask God, I said, God, give me a supernatural love because I know I don't have love on my own. Give me a supernatural love so that I can love people, not in my own strength, but through your power and your love. And over the last several months, I believe God has been depositing a supernatural love, not a love in my own strength, but a love that I have for people when I shouldn't have love for people. A love that I have that in my own strength, I wouldn't have chosen that. Now, here, here's the thing. Love is a choice, isn't it? Love's a choice. And I ask God to just deposit more of that supernatural love. Now, again, back to Maxwell. He, he said this, and I, I want you guys to say it with me. For God so loved the? All right, would you say this with me? Say, God loves me. Say, God loves people I don't know. God loves people I don't like. (laughs) And that's the problem. That there's a whole bunch of people that we as Christians just don't like. They're on the other side of the political aisle. They're on the other side. They're on the other side of a personality that we just don't get along with. They're just a different type of lifestyle, a different type of upbringing. And there's a whole lot of people that we just don't like. And so I began to pray just recently, begin to ask God. I've been asking God for a supernatural love, but then I started to ask God. I said, God, I don't want just a supernatural love for people. I began to pray and ask God for a supernatural like for people. Because love is a choice. 
You choose love when it's hard. You choose love in a marriage when you, you, you have to choose it. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And I, and I started to get that down to love people when it was hard and when I had to choose it. But then I began to pray and I would say, God, love is a choice, but like is more of a response. It's more of just a feeling towards people. So God, begin to change me so that I don't just choose to love, but that I genuinely have a supernatural like. It's one of the craziest, weirdest prayers I've ever prayed, probably. But I think it's one of the keys for us to reach the 53%. To have not just a supernatural love, but a supernatural like. You see, I don't have to be like them to reach them, but I do have to like them to reach them. And so many of us, man, we've put, we push people back. We've got reasons. We've got borders. We've got all these things. We've got all these issues with people. And so we don't even like the 53% because we think they're sinners and we think they're wrong. We think they're going to hell. And we think, what kind of, if you want to be more like Jesus, love more and go beyond loving more. How about liking more? Do you realize that Jesus not only loved people, he liked people who weren't like him. He went to Zacchaeus's house, and Zacchaeus was a hated man. He was, a, he was definitely one of the crooked politicians in his day, and Jesus went to his house, not just because he loved him, because he had to, but you can tell reading scriptures that Jesus genuinely liked him, not because of the bad things he was doing, but because he loved him so much that he had a heart, the heart of God. It's not just love, it's like. And so I, I'm praying for a supernatural like of people. And how do we begin to repent of these things? Well, I've talked about this before, but I've got to lay the groundwork again, and that's this, number three. We have to start repeating what God says. See, Ezekiel chapter three, verse 26, it starts off and says, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be speechless and unable to rebuke them, for they are rebels. Now, this is an interesting scripture. God tells Ezekiel, I'm going to stick your tongue to the roof of your mouth so you can't say anything. Why? Because Ezekiel looked at the people and he was tempted to say something stupid. How many of you guys ever looked at people and you were tempted to just say something stupid? It's like, you guys are screwed up. This world is screwed up. You, you're just screwed. And so God knew this was a temptation for Ezekiel. And he says, I'm not going to even let you speak. And he goes on and says, but I, when I give you a message, I will loosen your tongue and let you speak. And then you will say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Those who choose to listen will listen, but those who refuse will refuse, for they are rebels. He only let Ezekiel say what he was saying. How are we doing? With saying what God says. How do we know how we're doing? How do we change the way we're thinking about this world? Well, we got to ask, what does God say about this city? What does God say about the people? What does God say about the lost? He left the 99. What does God say about your next door neighbor? You see, you might be tempted to say something stupid. But God, he, he knows that. He, he's like, the right way is just to say what he says. And he, he begins to, to loosen his tongue to say what he says. You say, well, I don't feel it. What does God say about my relationship? You see, Ezekiel was only allowed to say what God says. And we have to get the same way. Where we repeat what God says by faith. We repeat what God says about our situation. What God says about people in our life. So, well, why don't I feel different? Why don't I change? I'm trying to do all these things externally. 
How many of you guys have ever heard of something that psychologists talk about, and they talk about this thing called self-talk? Has anybody ever heard of that, self-talk? If you don't know what that is, basically what that is is simply the running conversation that all of us have on the inside with ourselves. How many of you guys just admit you have a running conversation where you try to meditate on things, work things out, you have conversations always running on the inside. Sometimes I may even invite some people over into that conversation who aren't actually there and begin to have discussions and arguments with them just for fun. And we all have that running conversation on the inside. Listen, a, a, a good indicator of what you really believe is not what you post on Facebook. It's not what you pray on Sunday. It's not what you write in emails. It's not the fancy meme, Christian meme you share. Okay, That's not a real indicator of what you really believe. A real indicator of what you really believe is what it comes down to what's happening in that running conversation. On the inside. That's what you really believe. Because anybody can say something. Anybody can pray something. Anybody can post something. Anybody can share something. What I'm talking about, if we want to change the way we're thinking to biblically repent, we have to change the conversation on the inside of our heart. And so many of us give that conversation a pass. Well, that's not real. That's who you really are. God made us a new creation. How many of you guys believe that? That ought to affect that conversation on the inside. That doesn't just affect us on the outside. That ought to affect the conversation on the inside, that self-talk, if you will. It may not all happen at once. It may happen over time. But over time, you start to really believe some things on the inside because you're repeating what God says, not just out of your mouth, but you're repeating it on the inside that no one else will ever hear. That's how we really grow and change. When you listen to the conversation on the inside and it has changed and it says what God says, you know that God is doing something. So, so look back at the last couple of weeks and analyze that conversation in your own heart. What was that conversation like? What was that internal conversation like? You know what that is? That's your prayer life. That internal conversation is your true prayer life. Because God sees it all anyway. And that's a reflection of what you really believe. Now, that may be hard to hear. But I'm telling you, that is the truth. That is our prayer life. And some of us this evening, we're like, whoa, if that's true, I need to repent. Yes, we are all there. We need to repent. We've got to change that conversation on the inside. Some of us, we get stuck in this idea, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just always screwing it up, but I'm just barely saved. And that's the conversation on the inside. That's not the truth. That's not what God says. God says you're a saint that sometimes sins. But that only changes when we get it right on the inside. Repeat what God says by faith. Listen, changing what you say in your heart will change what comes out of your life. Let me say that again. Changing what you say in your heart will change what comes out of your life, not the other way around. And sometimes you may have to go to drastic measures to change that internal conversation. Let me give you an example that may help somebody of how far I've had to go in some areas of my life. Six and a half years ago, my wife and I got into a fight. There's been a couple more since then, but who's counting? Um, and in that discussion, you see, I, I realized that there's an internal conversation that was going on all the time. 
on the inside, and I was realizing I'm pretty good at pointing out things that need to change, things that need to be different, things that, you know, uh, you know, there's not a lot of encouragement that was going on on the inside because, you know, how we are. Sometimes we just think of it as a spiritual gift of discernment, you know, and I can just see all of these things that no one else can see. And so uh, I was, she let me know that that wasn't so helpful, okay, in that moment. And, and so I was like, well, I've got to figure out how to change this internal conversation because I, I just, my default setting was to find everything that needed to change. I mean, that my, my, was my default setting with that relationship. And that doesn't work so well in a marriage, does it? If you are that person, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And so I, I decided to work on it. And this isn't for everybody. I'll just let you know how I decided to work on it. I decided that in that moment, I was going to write a hundred notes of encouragement to my wife because it wasn't my default setting. I'd have to be really intentional about it. hundred days in a row, every day I would write her a note that I'd have to really try to find this encouragement that I was lacking in that internal conversation. And so I started to do that. And honestly, it was pretty hard. Not because I couldn't find things, but because I just wasn't used to looking for them. I would feel them from time to time. I just wouldn't verbalize them. And so when it came down to being intentional about it, it just wasn't my default setting, and so I'd have to really work hard to come up with these things. And so I kept doing that day after day after day, and I got to the end of the 100 days, and I had completed it all without fail, every single one of them. And by the time I got towards the end of the 100 days, it had gotten easier because I had begun to slowly change what I was looking for. And so I decided to continue to do that. And to every day to write some sort of note of encouragement or, or something that I appreciated about her. And so for the last six and a half years, every single day, for 2,369 days in a row, without fail, I've written her a note of encouragement to, to just simply change the internal conversation. Now, we're not perfect by any means and I'm not suggesting that, but what I am, I, I just wonder what life would be like had I not started to do that. And I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm just telling you to the lengths I had to go to even start to change the internal conversation and change my default setting. But I want you to know it, it was all hap had to happen on the inside. And some of you may need to do that in some area of your life. Maybe you need to do that about the 53%. Maybe you need to do that with your, I don't know. But some of you may need to do that in some area of your life. And the result, the end game is this. And this is what we're hoping for tonight, that we would, number four, receive a new heart. Because some of us need to have a new heart towards people. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I know what, there's several implications to this, but let's just, trans, just transport this into our topic here. Can we just ask God to give us a new heart towards people tonight? Say, so God, take out the stony, stubborn heart. Because why? Because we're really good at building up walls in our marriage, really good at building up walls towards the 53%. If there's somebody on the other political side of the aisle, man, we build up walls. And guess what? Whenever we build up walls, we're standing in the way instead of standing in the gap. Yeah, whenever I said that in both other services, that went over like, just like that. I'm not trying to build the church in that statement and try to build attendance, but I am trying to build the kingdom. 
with that statement. I, I believe we've got to get beyond building a bunch of walls. And I'm not saying that, that there aren't things we don't stand up for. But I'm, I'm telling you this, laws will not bring revival. The government will not bring revival. It's people who stand in the gap, who say, Lord, I'll, well, I'll take the simple yes, and I will stand in the gap. That's where revival comes. And when we put our hope in government, we put our hope in laws, we put our hope in a political party or in something that's going on in culture, we are not going to find a Savior there. We just aren't going to find a Savior there. we got to get back to what our, we got to remind ourselves of what this is all about and ask God for the new heart. And instead of building walls, because we're really good at building walls, we've got to start building some bridges to the 53%. In the back of my property, I've got a couple acres and a little uh, stream or a little creek runs through the back of it. And so it's not that big. It's about this big. And so I built a, a bridge across it. It's kind of a makeshift bridge and well, it's a little stream most of the time, but when it really rains really good, it becomes a flash flood. And that thing gets 50 or 60 feet wide. Rushing water comes through there. It's a dangerous thing. And water came rushing back through there and wiped away my little bridge. I was so disappointed. So I decided I'm building bigger and better. And so I had a little bit, I had like a, a six or eight foot railroad time. Like this has got some weight to it. And I put that back there and I built this nice looking bridge. And, and it, was, it was a small bridge, but it, it looked really nice. And so... Then a big rain came through and washed that little bridge away. And I saw it downriver and I was so disappointed. And then I, I just don't have a bridge anymore because I just stopped trying to build a bridge. And then my, my friend, Jason Calder, I saw him building a bridge. And I've got some pictures of my friend Jason's bridge. This, this is a bridge. He's building a bridge. He brought telephone poles as a foundation. Go ahead. There's another picture. He's building this. You could drive a truck across this bridge over his creek in the back. Uh, this looks like it should be over a gorge or a at a national park of some sort. This is an impressive bridge. He just finished it today. I saw this afternoon. He just finished this bridge today. It's an amazing, impressive bridge, and it blows my little bridges out of the water. Now, Here's the thing. Here's the picture I saw in that. So many of us as believers, we built a little bridge across the creek, but here's what happens. The tide of culture comes rushing through. And the little fragile bridge that we built to the 53% gets swallowed up because of the hot item of the political item of the day. Come on, somebody. And all of a sudden, our little bridge is washed away because of some political thing. Or we build another bridge and because the media whips us up into a frenzy about some new topic that we got to get all upset about and that we as Christians, we got to start boycotting and doing all this kind of stuff. Now listen, guys, I'm just being real with us. Are we building walls or are we building bridges? And so what happens is we build a little bridge and this tide of culture comes and washes away the little bridge and pretty soon we stop building bridges. What I'm suggesting is we got to build a bridge so big, built on the love of God, the supernatural love of God, the supernatural like of God, that whenever the, wash, uh, the rushing stream of culture comes rushing through, that our bridge is still standing and it can withstand any political thing, any media thing, anything that the world try to get whipped up into a frenzy about because it's not about those things. It's about people who God loves and he would gladly leave the 99 to go after those people on that bridge. And that's where we have to be. It's not about the building that we're talking about, standing gap. It's about building people to go. That's the supernatural like. 
Again, I'll leave you with this question. Are you standing in the gap or standing in the way? Evan Roberts, for him, it all started with a simple yes. And I I want to suggest that today it can start with us with just a simple yes. So I'm going to help you do that tonight. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I'm going to ask some of the ushers to come. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a yes before God. And what I have here is an envelope. And I want every single person to get one of these envelopes. Listen, you won't hear many churches do this. Today, and these envelopes are various amounts of cash. Today, we're giving away thousands and thousands of dollars today. We've given it away to hundreds of people all day long. And tonight, I'm sending you away with various amounts of cash in this envelope. What's the purpose of this cash? I want you... This is God's money. And I'm giving you an opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit to go out to the 53% and find somebody to bless, find some opportunity to share the gospel with, even in a simple, practical way. There's no restrictions on what you can do with this. If you need it for yourself right now, you can use that for yourself tonight, whatever whatever it is. But my hope is that all of us here would take a moment this week and imagine hundreds of us going out into our communities this week with a supernatural like for people and say, God, we just want, before our church receives any offering for our building, I want to sow a seed of thousands of dollars through you into our community all week long. This is God's money. You say, well, what's the big deal about 10, 20, whatever? I could give that on my, that's not the point. The point is we're going to prayerfully take this as an opportunity from God to have a divine appointment this week. And I'm expecting stories of people that you wouldn't normally encounter simply because your eyes are open this week. And I found whenever my eyes are open, God brings somebody into my path every time. And now you're going to be armed with an opportunity before, just before God and before others to share this. And so what I want to do is I want to pray over these. And we're going to be sent out as missionaries this week to the 53%. This is a small thing. It's a simple yes. But I believe that God can take something like this and he can multiply it and he can change lives. I believe there will be testimonies of people who come into the kingdom there might be an atheist who doesn't even believe in God, but gets, the needle gets moved just a little bit because you happen to be in the right place at the right time in an obedient heart before God. There may be an agnostic who's on the fence that all of a sudden this just pushes them over the edge. There could be somebody who's at the end of their emotional rope and all of a sudden you come in because your eyes are open and because you have an opportunity and a simple yes that it changes their life. And that's my prayer tonight. So would we take these and just hold these up before God and we're gonna just pray, God, open our eyes to see the people who you want us to see. Take this seed, Lord, of thousands of dollars through hundreds of people in your church going out, leaving the 99, going out to find the 53% who may never come to church. Lord, we just pray right now that you would give us divine opportunities, divine appointments. Lord, bring us out of our our callous, stony, stubborn heart. And God, give us a supernatural love. And even beyond that, a supernatural like 
for people who are lost in this world today who need you. Lord, help us to be the people who stand in the gap, who take their hand and connect them with yours, God. That's what we want to be all about as the church. That's who we want to be. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we just simply say yes this evening to whatever you have for us this week. Use us as an army being sent out to bring people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up one more time and let's worship the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.